This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. It's labelled one of the most natural and beautiful things you can do giving birth. It has the image of euphoria and the instant loving connection that you have with your newborn baby. But for many women, it's far from that. And up to one in three women have experienced what's now being labelled as birth trauma. One in 10 women come out of childbirth with post-traumatic stress disorder. And according to researchers, the issue is only getting worse. So what is birth trauma and what makes a birth traumatic? Your co-host today from ABC Shepparton, Nick Healy. Nick, the term birth trauma, it's relatively new, isn't it? I mean, it's being used and discussed now. However, when I had my daughter nine and a half years ago, don't forget the half, all right, she'll let you, (laughs) nine and a half years ago, the term birth trauma certainly wasn't being used. It it is a very new term. It's a very, I think, uh, important term. But many, many moons ago, sort of 15, 20 years ago, I was working publishing. I was editing Pregnancy and Baby magazine. And I can tell you that these conversations were not taking place on those pages. Uh, Euphemistically, we'd say tricky birth or a difficult birth. But also, it was a very harried and hurried conversation. It's, oh, some people have a difficult birth. And, And then you'd move on to the next conversation. There wasn't time to talk about it and there certainly wasn't time uh, to let those birthing parents express what it had been like for them, talk about their experiences. Even the language that we use, and that's something that we'll get into today, has changed Mm. dramatically around birthing. So words like natural and what constitutes a natural birth... don't get me started. I'm already, I can feel myself firing up as a woman who had a cesarean, the term natural birth... It wasn't used in my type of birth. You know, I was considered to have had a a non-natural birth. And that is something that infuriates me. And I know a lot of other women. It should in many ways, because even if we say, oh, look, it's just the medical term that's used, you cannot say that words like natural and non-natural do not come with heavy connotations without a weight on them that for for that birthing parent, for that mother, doesn't make you feel like maybe you've done something wrong if you weren't able to have this so-called natural birth. And that idea and that feeling that I've done something wrong or that maybe talking about the fact that my birth certainly didn't go to plan or was traumatic, you start to feel, because this is something that happened to me, you start to feel ungrateful, you start to feel shameful, you start to hide the fact or maybe not talk about the fact that what you went through was actually horrific. Like, you're told that it's very natural, you know, everything is, this is what you're going to do, don't use any intervention, another word that we'll drill down on a little later, if you don't need to, which they're referring to drugs there. But without going into too much detail, but my birth, I guess, could be labelled traumatic. So I laboured for well over 30 hours, which is an incredibly long time. Towards the end, my daughter's heart rate dropped to an alarming rate and they had minutes to get my daughter out via caesarean. By that point, Nick, my epidural had worn off and the epidural that they were trying to top me up with in order to give me the caesarean wasn't working. So basically I could feel the scalpel going onto my Mm. stomach. At that point... I kind of started to freak out a little bit. I just wanted my daughter to be delivered safely. I started to to cry and to panic. And I remember looking into my anaesthetist's eyes, who was incredible, by the way. He was a wonderful man who kept me as calm as I possibly could. And I said to him, just do whatever you need to do. And at that point, they knocked me out. They gave me a general. And that's the last thing I remember. And then when I came to, I was just physically shaking. And that often happens with generals, right? So your body reacts Mm, differently. mm, mm. And I just remember seeing my husband sitting there with my my daughter. And I couldn't hold her because I was just shaking so much. And I actually think I was in a state of shock. I sort of didn't know what happened. It all happened so quickly and in such a frantic fashion. Uh, And then you have all of the physical scars of, you know, of, of a cesarean and all of the things that come along with that. But then it's never discussed right? So that was that. On you go. And it wasn't until you, in your mother's group for the very first time, 
and we're sitting around in a circle and the maternal health nurse, the first thing you do is let's all share our birth stories. And I thought, oh, okay, this is going to be a barrel of laughs. And I was second in last of the circle and every mother's birth story was pretty straightforward, you know, six or seven hours. Most of them didn't need drugs. Uh, A few home births, my idea of hell, by the way, but anyhow, there's a few home births. Uh, But everyone was pretty straightforward and had a relatively good experience. And then it got to me. And can I tell you, I thought about lying. I thought, do I tell the truth here? Because I'm really going to stand out. I'm the only one that I want to say it was horrific. It was awful. And I hated every second of it. And it scared me. And so I ended up telling a watered down version. And then the woman next to me who was last just turned to me and said, thank God you just told that story because I had a horrific experience as well. And I was unsure as to whether or not I should actually tell what really happened. And I think a lot of that is a part of why we're starting to discuss birth trauma now. Because for many of us, like, so mine was on a fairly low scale, right, of traumatic experiences. But it was never discussed. And you don't discuss it. Even with the postpartum care that you get in your home, no one ever said, how was your birth? It, I, I realise that it is never going to be a competition. But if yours is maybe could be described as a uh, traumatic birth, which is the way you said it at the start, I don't know. I mean, it sounds very traumatic to me. And I know that even then you're using language uh, to, to almost sound like you're not trying to make a fuss. And here you are in a mother's group, the place you should be able to open up feeling like you have to be dishonest about your experience. Otherwise, you know, you're on the outer. I mean, these are awful situations to be going into with that emotional and and physical damage still weighing on you. And I wonder what the long-term ramifications are of not discussing it as well. And I don't want this conversation to be about me. I sort of want it to mm. be about it being a safe and open place for us to to share and to have conversations about the changing language and the changing pressure that we put on, not just to women, but to, to partners as well in order to have the perfect birth. But I would think there would be a lot of undiagnosed postnatal depression as a result of having a traumatic experience and just not being able to discuss that with anyone or not having it recognised in any way. And I wonder how many women go on to think, well, I'm not going through that again. Uh, it might be part of the reason why I only have one child. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's fascinating that we're only just starting to discuss this. And really notable, you know, that internalised trauma, no matter where trauma comes from, internalised trauma can just um, repeat on itself. I mean, this is a recipe for having, you know, significant issues to overcome later on. And um, for something that, you know, natural birth, intervention, motherhood, pregnancy, birthing, it's already so loaded in so many ways. It's already so categorised um, in society, so difficult, I think, to have genuine conversations about, uh, you know, when we bring trauma into it. Wow. I mean, where do we even begin? Yeah, we're only just learning about trauma as a society, aren't Mm. we? And how we store trauma and how Mm. we help those living through trauma. Rochelle Hunt and Nick Healy with you. You're on the Conversation Hour. Lisa's called through. She's in South Gippsland. Morning, Uh, Louisa. Good morning. Thanks for raising the topic. Um, Something you just said really resonated with me um, before. I had a really difficult time after my daughter was born and post- complications and GAs and ICU and all the rest, um, I felt like I didn't want to tell people about that in case they got scared, um, whilst simultaneously developing a pretty passionate um, hatred of the idea of home birth. I got pregnant with my son fairly shortly after, and I was terrified. Um, So it's great you guys are talking about this, and really congratulations for raising it. Louisa, we're really happy to, but did you ever find a kind of forum or a friends group or a mother's group where you could start talking about it, or is this something you've just kind of had to hold on to for all the years? Um, Look, great family, talked about it heaps, lucky to have the same midwife for both my pregnancies, and she was really understanding of why I was super scared, and actually did lots of extra things to make it easy for me the second time. Um... I proudly had an elective Caesar the second time and actually second time around felt way more comfortable mm. to, to tell people I'd done it and have no shame about it. My kids joke my 
daughter took the stairs and my son took the escalator. <laughs> Isn't that the whole cesarean conversation... I hope that's the next thing to change, Louisa. I really, really do because I don't know why there is still stigma and shame around caesareans. It baffles me. It truly does. If you're having an emergency caesarean or even an elective caesarean because your first birth didn't go to plan, it's because you either have to or it's because it's your choice to do it. Absolutely, and ultimately it makes zero difference to your child how they're born. I know, I know. No difference. That's, that's <laughs> so true. Plenty of texts on this already, Nick. This saying, I have to disagree. I had an emergency caesarean. We both would have died. Yes, death is natural, but I know without medical intervention, we both uh, would have died. I never felt ashamed or guilty. It was wonderful to be saved. I had a great pregnancy, but a bad birth. Without a modern intervention, uh, you wouldn't have this as well. And another saying... Written, Nick, my daughter was born nine and a half years ago as well. I'm in a parenting group based in southeast Melbourne that have been there since then. The first mention of birth trauma was back in 2014. Birth trauma rates aren't increasing. They're the same they have always been. It's just being discussed now, thankfully. Maybe we can get help for it now. Well, maybe we can get help for it now. And I, I note a few of those texts. Uh, a, a big thank you to you, Rochelle, for being able to open up about it. I think people are still finding that this is a topic that's incredibly hard to open. I noted Louisa mentioned something that I think has become something uh, very, very important to a lot of mothers and families, continuity of care. She mentioned having the same midwife through. You know, we talk about sort of people being able to feel comfortable with the people who are going to be in that birthing suite, um, know that decisions are being made with them, um, have an understanding of what's going on. Continuity of care is essential for that. Hannah Darlin is a professor at, mid, at midwifery at the University of Western Sydney and has looked a lot into birth trauma. Hannah, it's a relatively new term. We just had a text there saying, you know, it was first started to be discussed back in 2014. But can you describe what birth trauma is? Sure. Well, birth trauma has a very wide range. It can be from feeling, you know, really disappointed and sad about your birth to being, you know, utterly devastated to having post-traumatic stress disorder at the opposite end of the scale and, and, and in some extreme forms, you know, never wanting to have another baby again, etc., and needing some serious psychiatric um, uh, counselling. So there's quite a range in, in birth trauma, but essentially birth trauma is made up of a physical, sometimes physical trauma or psychological trauma or both. But it doesn't mean that just because you have no scars and you've had no, um, you know, I guess surgical intervention or your birth has not gone straight forward, it doesn't mean you won't have birth trauma because the way that you're treated, the respect you're given, the way you feel that you were informed and you gave consent can actually be incredibly traumatic. So it's really important that trauma is not just about bad things happening to you. It can be sometimes about treatment as well. And I know across the board with trauma, you know, there's a danger to trying to put a um, definition on it because people are going to have their own individual experiences about it. Uh, the flip side is quite often people don't want to discuss trauma or have conversations about it shut down because it could have been worse. You know, when we talk motherhood and, and, and babies, it, you know, well, you have a baby now. This could have been so much worse for you. I mean, it's limiting to what people can open up and, and express. Exactly. And as you've alluded to, we're starting to really talk about it. And it's sort of been the dirty little dark secret of the birthing world. I mean, mothers have sat with their silence and their sadness for, for a very, very long time. But we're finally naming it. We're yeah. finally exploring it. And most importantly, is we're listening to women and, and validating it when they tell us it was traumatic. And we're also now getting more and more very good counselling service to address that. I have to say, though, I felt supported by the midwives and the anaesthetists that were around me. At no point did that trauma, was it their fault? You know, this was just something that happened and the experience was horrific. Uh, what I found interesting about this and what's coming through in a really strong fashion on the text line is that there was no label for it. It wasn't discussed. And you sort of, I remember, Hannah, my husband and I finally getting home because obviously you stay in hospital longer if you've had a caesarean and opening our front door and looking at each other because once you sort of got the smells and the comfort of your own home, you felt relatively normal again. And we just looked at each other and went, 
what the hell was that? You know, what have we just been through? And then that's it. You know, there, there's nothing else discussed after it. And, and you have pointed out the heart here. So I think most women understand that if something needs to be done to save their baby's life, that we live in one of the safest countries in the world to do that. So that that is something most women do understand. But what women don't understand is when nobody talks to them about what happened, why it happened, what could happen next time, and actually make sure that they are psychologically and mentally well. And another thing that one of your callers brought up that we know is critical for reducing birth trauma, it's continuity of care. So if you have a care provider throughout your pregnancy, your birth and your postnatal period, who knows your full story, who knows maybe your mental health history, maybe your vulnerabilities around certain issues and is witness to what happened and part of it, then you've got somebody who will talk to you, maybe up to six weeks if we can get postnatal care going that long as we do in some models and, and appropriately refer you. You kind of baby was out and that was the end of it you know job done and this is where we fail women substantially in our society by not supporting them adequately afterwards and having those really important conversations hopefully with a trusted known care provider and i kind of want to touch in a little bit on um uh, the dangers of that self-recrimination you know when we talk about the language around birth and and natural birth we've even had a, a text in from april saying that she beat herself up for having to have a C-section. Yeah. But the continuity of care is quite fascinating to me because I think what are the barriers to people actually getting that continuity? Why why are we not seeing it as the default? Well, it's it's part of the national strategic plan as, as, as recommended, though that was not easy to get it in. Let me tell you, the consumers lobbied very hard for the government to actually make that an important aspect. We have um, ample evidence that continuity of midwifery care in particular not only reduces interventions, increases satisfaction um, and increases breastfeeding, etc., etc., and costs less. We've got systems that still are very medicalised. We've got systems that are unwilling to facilitate support and really nurture the expansion of these midwifery models of care. And we're just looking at data on the largest study undertaken in, in birth. It's called Birth in a Time of COVID. And we've looked at women's experiences during COVID and their model of care. And women who have continuity of midwifery care have less than half the amount of birth trauma than everybody else. Now, that's telling you relationships absolutely matter. Gosh, it just shows you that we're at the beginning of changing how we look at caring for not just the child but for the woman as well. Hannah, thanks so much for your time and your insights and for the work that you're doing in this area. It's really important. My pleasure. Hannah Darlin, Professor of Midwifery at the University of Western Sydney. This text, Nick, my daughter is turning nine next week. I had a traumatic birth that left me with injuries that I still carry. However, I have lots of conversations around the word trauma. It wasn't traumatic to me at the time, but the professionals kept using that word. I agree that it's continued and consistent care that is the key. I went private the second time so that I had the same doctor the whole time. And this is from Jenny and it says, Rochelle, oh my God, I had an epidural cesarean for my third child's birth as well 27 years ago and that full-on shaking thing that happens afterwards I had that as well you're right the shaking shock side of things wasn't talked about it was fobbed off as just being a natural response and that was that Emily's been waiting for us she's on the Mornington Peninsula good morning Emily good morning what did you want to say um well I've actually had two traumatic births um the first one was actually uh, due to a late kind of discovery of an incompatibility with my previous partner, a genetic incompatibility. So I then had to have an induced birth at 22 weeks. Um, the baby was still alive, uh, so I had to be induced. And I was thinking, oh, my God, I'm not ready for this. I don't know how to do this. But it ended up being um, a natural birth, as you say, well, actually, I should say vaginal birth, uh, rather natural. Um, and she came out, she was beautiful, but she was stillborn. Um, and I got all the, all the sort of euphoria afterwards. That was amazing. Um, I then did not stay with that partner. We lost another baby after that. Oh, and then Emily, I'm so I, sorry. I'm, 
Yeah. Well, we found out earlier, 14 weeks, uh, we had an amniocentesis and the, and the same genetic issue, which is a really rare genetic condition in Australia called Meckel-Gruber syndrome. Anyway, I ended up with a new partner many years later and uh, ended up uh, falling pregnant and uh, expecting a beautiful big boy that we were waiting for. Uh, I was 10 days over and um, then was sort of ready to be induced. But then I went into, I had... Uh, my waters broke and I, I went into labour um, and I had about a 10 hour labour but the funny thing is is the woman looked at me or the midwife looked at me and said there is no way this girl is getting this baby out of her um, but they did let me go through labour and I was fully um, dilated for about eight hours uh, and then they finally um, you know said look we need to get him out um, you need to have a Caesar that was about three o'clock in the morning um, and so I went into Caesar and um, he was so big that mm. he tore. I tore internally um, and externally um, and hemorrhaged on the table um, and going into shock again as well. So they got him out, um, but had we not had intervention, I don't think him or myself would have survived. Um, I couldn't get him through my pelvis. He was literally bouncing off my pelvis. Um, and he was 11 pounds seven. He was 5.2 kilos. Wow. Uh, and that was traumatic because I actually felt like I was dying. I actually thought I was having a near-death experience on the table. Um, but I didn't have to have a blood transfusion, thankfully. But, yeah, it was, wasn't until a couple of hours later when I woke up that I first thing I said was, how big was he? <laughs> Emily, thank you so much for sharing those uh, very difficult stories. I, I can't believe that you've been through it, and thank you for that. Because I think, again, you know, this is what it's coming down to, Rochelle, is we need to be able to have an open forum to discuss traumatic births. We need to be able to have places where yeah. people can open up about it. And look, you know, if if you've noted in your time that we've seen the language around traumatic births change, I'd love to hear from you this morning. It's one three hundred triple two double seven four. And just finally, Emily, did you get the post care that you felt that you needed? Do you think after going through that? Um, not psychological, like not not in any trauma sense. I think it was just more physical. Um, it was more sort of, you know, making sure the baby was feeding. Uh, he was beautiful. He was a yeah. massive baby, beautiful <laughs> big boy. He was a little bit like a sideshow in the hospital, actually, because everyone was sort of, all the doctors and nurses were coming through and, and kind of making a joke of how big, how big he was. And yeah. I saw him as just this beautiful little baby. Of but, course. You know, I, I physically still suffer because uh, my stomach was just sh shredded. My muscles were shredded. Um, but that's okay. But the, the funny thing is, is that actually my... I then had another baby um, 20 months later, a girl, and it wasn't actually until I had her that I went into post-traumatic stress. Or yes, sort of, I went and into, that's and it wasn't something that we I need. Her. Yeah, and Emily, I'm really glad that you raised PTSD too because we're going to get into a bit of that because it's not just birth trauma that one in three are experiencing. One in ten are experiencing PTSD as a result of, of birth trauma. Emily, we wish you all the best. Thank you. Trudy and Warnable says, and I'm going to abbreviate some of the text because it's quite long. It just says, thank you so much for talking about this. I also had a traumatic birth with my firstborn son after attending my first mother's group meeting. The coordinator suggested that I should stop coming because she felt like I had nothing in common with the other mothers because I was the only one that had endured a traumatic cesarean delivery. There was no other support group offered and I was just kind of left to my own devices. I mean, that's just I can't imagine ludicrous. being thrown out of a, a support group for that's, not being... I mean, where do you land? How do you... You can only internalise that. You can only take that on board as saying, I'm in the wrong, I've done something wrong. I mean, that's awful. In just a moment, we'll speak with an obstetrician and a gynaecologist that's been looking a lot into this. On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt with you and Melbourne Nikhili with you on ABC Shepparton. We're learning today about birth trauma. This is a term, Nick, that's only sort of come around in the last, well, not even decade, but in the last few years or so. Let's have a chat with Danielle, Dr. Danielle Quitner. She's an obstetrician and a gynaecologist. Danielle, apologies for keeping you. We know how busy you are, so we really appreciate your time and a lot of the shuffling that you've done today to join us. We have a full board of calls and we cannot keep up with the text with people wanting to talk about this 
How new is birth trauma? Surely it's been around forever, but we're just labelling it now. I think that's a really good point. Um, I think like one of the, um, what like you were saying earlier, that birth trauma is something that was, has probably been experienced for, you know, as long as birth has been around. But um, there's always very much been a focus on, you know, okay, baby's out. Um, let's let's see the baby. Well, we're not really seeing the mother and seeing her for where she's at and what she's been through. And, and this emergence of dialogue, um, I think, has come with this, a shift towards more women-centred care, and it's it's almost laughable that that women's health would ever not be women-centred. Um, but I think that these experiences that we're hearing show that we have a long way to go as maternity providers um, to sort of optimise a, a woman and a family's experience of what is such a pivotal time in 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 their lives. Danielle, we still kind of have this perspective that, say, traumatic birth is unusual. But I mean, do most pregnancies actually go to plan? Oh, the, the, the word plan, it's an interesting <laughs> word. <isn't it>? um, <laughs> and I think, look, when often we we have these conversations and it's so important to have these conversations as part of a continuity of care um, in pregnancy is that I think birth preferences um, as opposed to birth plan is, is probably more in line with, with what's, um, uh, what's appropriate just because we know that there is so much sort of unpredictability um, in, in the labour and the birth process and, and certainly we know we can do things to optimise um, uh, the experience. A lot of it is going to be up to, uh, up to you know, luck um, and what's really important in terms of birth preferences and I think this goes a long way to hopefully preventing some of the, the trauma that we can see is is seeing for that woman or her partner what her birth priorities are and this has a lot to do with what her past experience is where her where her health is what her what her background is and for some women you know, for them a, a labor with very minimal in, intervention I'll use that word at the moment um is you know where the environment and the care is trying to optimise physiological process as much as possible, so that's a priority. And for other women, a more planned and controlled approach, such as a surgical birth, an elective caesarean is what appeals to them. And I think as, as care providers, we really need to have these discussions and discuss the risks and the benefits and what that can look like for them and then use our skills to um, individualise care because there really is no one-size-fits-all when it comes to birth. I'm so glad you mentioned the language, you know, preferences, not plan. You know, we, we were saying earlier, you know, natural birth, what a loaded sentence it is. You know, oh, we, yeah. we, we used to talk about geriatric mothers, people giving birth over 35. I mean, these are, th then the I language was matters. Geriatric. <laughs> <laughs> Advanced maternal age is another one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, where, whereas we should really be focusing on actually what in that situation, certainly, you know, there are there is an element of, of increased risk in the obstetric field, but there's also so much um, positivity and, and benefit that, that um, a, a woman or a couple coming with life experience can bring to a, to a, peg, a pregnancy and birth and raising a child. I mentioned earlier, Danielle, that I felt completely supported even though it went pear-shaped this was yeah. by at no fault of anyone's as an obstetrician i mean you're just trying to do the best that you can quite often in an emergency situation aren't you and then mm. has the care shifted away from the mother a little bit though would you think i think this comes down to we have need to consider the environment in which we're working in. So um, obviously, you know, different settings, different hospitals, different care providers have access to different resources. Um, and unfortunately, we are we are often working in a very strange system um, where, you know, sort of patient numbers, um, hospital access, that kind of thing can impact quality of care. And we really need to be able to negotiate this as well as we can. That also comes down to situations where, you know, continuity of continuity of care of, of care provider may be compromised um, so I do think that um, you know we are in in an environment where it's strange but there is always time in mm. every situation there is time for kindness communication and compassion and we have to see this as a priority and in situations where there are you know I, I prefer to sometimes use the term unplanned cesarean as opposed to emergency cesarean because I think that the emergency is a very loaded um, word as well coming back to language um, there is there is always time to explain and there's always time to explain the risks and the benefits and um, and then sort of 
you know, physically and emotionally hold a woman and her partner's hand in these situations. Yes, and the partner's important. The partner Absolutely. is important. And, and as you were saying before, Dr. Danielle Quitner, it's about taking it back and making sure that the mother is recognised or the birthing parent as, as the centre of this as well. Uh, Dr. Quitner is an obstetrician and gynaecologist. Thank you so much for your time this morning. We really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you for bringing up this important topic. We're very happy to. And we, we had a text in from Sue before saying that she had a traumatic birth 41 years ago, and, and this is to a large degree bringing it back for her. And, and so we are really genuinely sorry if this is a difficult conversation. I stand by um, the idea that it's an incredibly important one, but obviously we're not um, wanting to, to, to rehash trauma for people, and I, I do apologise. There's numbers you can call, and we'll have a chat to Panda in just a moment, but Panda's number, if you want to take that down, is 1300 726 306. And of course, Lifeline is always there for you as well. We always say that is a number for you and for you to call, and that's 13 11 14. Plenty of texts on the partners as well. This is really interesting, Nick. Mm. It says... When my wife and my then wife and I went through a traumatic birth with our daughter 20 years ago, so again, this is a, a long time ago, we did not know that then that the trauma would eventually contribute to many years of attachment issues between mother and child. This, amongst many issues, contributed to the breakdown of our relationship and the need for our marriage many, many years later to end. So easy to see the signposts now, but at the time there was no help, there was no support, and it wasn't even available if we wanted it. A great step forward is normalising this discussion and this will no help no help new parents in the future. And that's from somebody who wants to remain anonymous. Tracy's in regional Victoria. Hi, Tracy. Hi there. What did you want to say? Um, I'd just like to say I work in a big regional hospital as a midwife and just obviously my personal opinion, but um, education is a, is a big thing because it has been cut and cut and cut so I can think when I had my first child 16 years ago, the childbirth education classes uh, ran for about five weeks each, you know, once a week. Then at, it used to be a whole day session. And I can say now it's a three-hour yeah. Zoom I was going to say, class. I was in there for a couple of hours. So how are we meant to get yeah. everything across to a lady and the expectation of having a dim room and some whale music playing. <laughs> I was very asked if they wanted to put a sarong the over the equipment. I was like, no, thank you. What about yeah. post-care? There's a text here from Robin that says, in the past, I think women would have five to seven days resting in hospital postnatal. That helped enormously. Now, some women are sent home on the same day as giving birth. So you can go home after four hours if you wish. Wow. Generally, we would keep them for a couple of days and then now we visit at home whereas that you know used to stay in for a week or however long if there's some major issues you do stay longer and it is like the obstetrician was um, saying before the system is so stretched and now also that like you said the loaded term of a normal birth so do we want to go back to the times where you're pushing for five hours and end up with a fistula so there's un realistic expectations too so it, it's a very very hard topic but people need realistic expectations coming into it and that needs education and if you've had one birth before you need it again you can't assume that they know what they're coming into each birth and there's a lot of vicarious trauma I feel particularly with obstetricians because they're seeing those births that really have gone pear-shaped sometimes. So they've got lots of vicarious trauma mm. when they're dealing with situations. Yeah. So it's a big, yeah, there's no mm. one easy fix for any no. of this. And Tracy, I really appreciate your insights on that working, you know, as you do. And, um, you know, the education thing, quite surprised to learn that that has been cut to a three-hour Zoom session. I don't even know how something like that could even scratch the surface. Um, staying on the phone line, Cara in Greensboro, how are you? Hi, thanks. What did I you want to say? To speak, I want to speak about the word traumatic birth. So my first, um, I ended up um, with a broken coccyx, um, which obviously is traumatic, mm. but it wasn't to me. Um, it was, I didn't go to plan all that kind of stuff, but I didn't feel it was traumatic, but the professionals kept using that word traumatic. And then I was like, was it traumatic? Do I need to be more stressed? Do I need to be feeling like it was bad? 
um, which led that was in the public system, which I led me to have a second in the private, and that was what you were talking about before about the continuity of care. So I had an emergency visa with my second, um, which again could be traumatic, but I had the same doctor the whole way through and knew what the steps were happening in yeah. the aftercare as well. Well, that's great because aftercare and having that continuity is something huge that's come up in there. And I wonder whether that's part of the reason why, even though technically, you know, you were told on paper that your birth was traumatic, if you had all of those measures in place, Cara, that you didn't feel like you went through trauma. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Michelle Hunt in Melbourne, Nick Healy with you at ABC Shepparton. And Nick, we have to apologise to people if we don't get a chance to read out your text. We physically cannot keep up with them at the moment. So thank you so much to everybody that is sharing your story because sometimes, well, look, sometimes it's helpful to share. Sometimes it's traumatic within itself to share as well. But if you have taken the time to send that text through, most times after the show when I don't get a chance to read them out, just let it be known that I sit in the studio and I read through all of those texts so they will be read and if we don't read them out we apologise. They'll be read, they'll be listened to and I think uh, the sheer quantity of texts and calls coming through is just letting us know how important this is to be having this conversation. Having that post-care as well and again I had a really frank conversation actually with somebody close to me who also had a traumatic birth. Let's just say her epidural went in the wrong way so she went numb from the waist up and her partner thought she was having a stroke and then her baby was pretty much removed fairly forcibly with forceps to the point where this woman, once her baby was given to her, she actually rejected her baby, said, don't, no, I just, I need to be alone right now. But we spoke about how we both believed that we had undiagnosed postnatal depression. And that's just maybe through not having that support and that care. But Panda is a group and an incredible organisation that is there for you and that you can reach out to at any time. And the CEO is Julie Borninkoff. Julie, We can't keep up with the amount of women that want to speak about this today and partners that want to share their stories as well. How important is post-care when it comes to having a birth that doesn't go to plan? Oh, look, thank you for having me, Rochelle and Nick. I think, you know, these conversations are so fundamental. But as you're saying and as callers have said, you know, post-care and feeling able to reflect on and connect and share and process and experience, regardless of which trauma you've gone through, are just so fundamental. You know, we know that so many people calling Panda and, you know, last year we had about 588 people who disclosed that they were um, traumatised as a result of the birth that they had experienced and you know we know that to be there for people and be able to help them reflect on that and find space with that uh, is fundamental to them being the parent they want to be. Well and Julie that trauma has to impact on, on I guess what it means to that individual to be a parent. Most definitely. You know, we know that parenting is about not just how you connect with your baby physically, but how you connect with the role psychologically of being a new parent. Um, And, you know, to be a new parent, you're not just in the moment, you're bringing the backpack of crap, as I like to talk about, um, you know, that you've been through in your life into that experience as a parent. And we know that so often, especially women, default to a feeling of being a failure or not able to be the best they can be. And traumatic experiences make you second guess you know how you are in the world whether Mm. you could have done something differently how the system treated you and they disrupt your sense of self-identity and your connection with your bub and that's just tragic it it strikes me conversations i've had julie with um people who've gone through pregnancy and infant loss uh there's so much shame and stigma attached to it Mm -hmm. and i'm hearing these same quantities and qualities coming through while we're talking about traumatic birth as well Mm, most definitely and you know we all self-attribute whether we're men women or you know identify as others and that's just a human condition so you know we're never going to first and foremost blame others we're going to force it onto ourselves and try to process it and you know as we've heard the systems have been stretched the systems have been disrupted due to COVID and you know nothing looks like it did prior um, and normal doesn't exist anymore Mm. so of course you know we first and foremost blame ourselves um, and think that we must be faulty and then we feel a sense of shame over that and that's very normal 
and you know services like pandas and all of the other wonderful services out there supporting people help people process that and just finally julie i mean we're getting texts from women that are talking about their birth 40 50 years mm. ago and the, and the trauma that they felt at the time and the issues that it's raising with them now and as mm. we heard from dr danielle quitner earlier it's always been around. We're sort of just labelling it more now. For an organisation like Panda, mm. it must be a, a, a great step forward and a comfort for you to know that we are talking about it. It is being given a label because we all know that sometimes once you're given a label, it helps you process and understand and it makes you feel like you're not alone or that you're going insane or that you've made it up or that it's just you. So are you sort of happy in the progress that we're making around language of birth trauma? Most definitely. I think, you know, as you said, giving um, a label and allowing people to connect with that gives them uh, permission, essentially, to then start unpacking that and going on the journey and recognising that it doesn't matter whether or not that traumatic incident occurred yesterday, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. It becomes a part of the fabric of your unique individual, you know. Um, it becomes a part of the fabric of your identity and something that will always disable you at times. And you can you know oscillate between being a victor of that experience and a victim of that experience and that is very normal very very normal julie bonikoff thank you so much for your time this morning julie's the ceo of panda uh the number four panda one three hundred seven two six three oh six. andy in brunswick yeah i just wanted to um yeah when i was a first time dad 13 years ago and um yeah there's a lot of talk about um natural and um I had a real problem with that. Like, mm-hmm. I just I, he had a previous caller that said um, vaginal birth, and you've been talking about um, C sections and cesarean. Yeah, I just um, I thought that was um, really important. Yeah, um, it really is. That's shifted as well, hasn't it? Because language, that language, idea, yeah. language is really important. Yeah. Um, when um, our daughter came came, um, she didn't breastfeed straight away, and I. I um, moved her hand to her mum's uh, nipple and she started um, breastfeeding. Um, but at that time, her mum and her, her mum yelled at me, don't touch. And that, for me, was really traumatic. Um, yeah. I mean, that I involvement that you can and can't ready. have. Yeah, I, I think it's important to hear from the partners as as well. And it, I think also, too, if your wife or your partner is going through a traumatic experience and you're there with them and you're living that trauma, then that has an impact on you too. And, you know, this is a, for everyone that's involved. It, it absolutely affects everyone. It's really good to hear from you. Thank you. This text that says, my second child's birth 40 years ago was an epidural epidural caesarean. Do you know what, Nick? I actually didn't realise that there was a title to the type of caesarean that I had until I started reading these texts because I was never even told that that you was You weren't the even type, told that? That was the type wow. of caesarean I had. So I've learnt something today. Anyhow, the anaesthetist casually told me, says this text, not to be a sook and to ask for more painkillers during the birth even before the actual cutting had started. I felt everything and I was traumatised for years later. And now I realise that I also had undiagnosed postnatal depression. Funnily enough, I've met a few women over the years that also had this sort of thing happen to them as well. Birth trauma has been hidden for too long. People's concerns being dismissed while on a birthing table is just remarkable to me. And yes, it has been around for a while. We're only just talking about it. I greatly appreciated this text. It's an anonymous one saying, look, I had positive experiences giving birth, but that was helped by growing up in a family where this was a topic that was spoken directly about and known. So they're giving a big thumbs up for more education around that, which came up earlier. You know, a three-hour Zoom meeting to know what to expect during birth. I um, I, I couldn't do anything in three hours and understand it, to be honest. <laughs> and expect the unexpected as well. Angela's been waiting so patiently in Hampton. Good morning, Angela. Oh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. Um, I suppose I just wanted to reflect on some of the other callers and just say I think that the birthing process has predominantly been a series of practical decisions along a decision tree. And so it's been driven by the medical, it's been driven by what has to happen next. And it's only when we get to reflect back in this day and age, I think, that we can see that so many parts of it are missing for the emotional support. My experience was one where my 
first delivery was going to be natural and there wasn't much talk of it being otherwise. There were certain percentages put down to, you know, only so many percent of people will go through a Caesar, but it was sort of brushed aside. And during the delivery, it became apparent that the child was in distress. They said, oh, we'll go ahead with a Caesar now. And so I went, oh, okay, yep, that's fine. Um, they double-checked the monitors, though, and the next thing was a doctor came in and said, listen, I'm sorry, your child has died. We're going to go through with a natural delivery. And I just went with it. You don't question, you don't say, listen, I think it would be better for my mental health to have a Caesar at this stage. Um, so we went through the natural delivery and the child ended up having shoulder dystocia, which is abnormally large shoulders. So you can imagine the result of that was um, a lot of damage. And then there was the physical recovery process after that. Um, and the emotional recovery oh was God. not really dealt with. This also happened in New Zealand. And... It was 16 years ago now, but I then went on to say, well, I'm not going to have any more um, natural deliveries. <laughs> and I went on to have three more Caesars with three boys. <sighs> but I remember um, my first Caesar that I was planning to do, I remember meeting an elderly gentleman um, just at a lunch and he said, oh, so when are you due? And I told him, and I, he goes, how do you know the exact date? And I said, oh, I'm planning a Caesar. And he said, oh, too posh to push, are you? Oh. <laughs> and that's a term, <laughs> I, yeah, I've forgotten about that term. Angela, oh, my God, I am so like, sorry that you went through that. <laughs> the, and thank yeah. you for sharing your story and to having yeah. the courage to, to share your story. And... This is, I mean, I'm actually lost for words. I oh, know. Here, here we are again. No post-care. Oh. No one looking in. No one uh, acknowledging oh. that trauma. No one talking about that trauma. No one being there for that support. I mean, how many times have we heard that story in the last 50 minutes? Yeah. Angela, thank you. Dr. Alex Umbers is a Warrnambool-based GP. She's an obstetrician trainee and the co-host of the pregnant of Pregnancy Uncut, which is a podcast. Alex, it's been such a... A whirlwind of emotions, actually, the last 50-odd minutes, you know, from it being uh, traumatic, even having these conversations, but then at the same time, it's felt liberating to be able to discuss it and hope that we move forward. And that's something that you've been trying to do with your podcast as well, is to start these conversations and talk about them openly and honestly. Yeah, exactly. Thanks so much for having us, Nick and Michelle. I think some of the conversations um, I've been listening into this last uh, 15 minutes or so really reflect the different emotions that can play out in the birth suite. You know, you've got that huge swing from all the happy, amazing emotions right through to, you know, the other point end of the spectrum where people are quite traumatised by their birth. And um, myself and fellow obstetrician Cara Thompson have really born from our own experiences as um, obstetric patients, but also as doctors working in the women's health space to really recognise that a lot of these conversations have just been silenced and stereotyped and shamed and hidden. And so what we aim to do with our conversations is shine light on some of these dark topics and have everyday people share their stories, much like today, to open things up and acknowledge and validate some of these really tough experiences and in doing so, you know, create a sense of connection and um, a path to growing from these conversations because I think that's how we heal as a community. Now, Alex, it's a, that validation that you mentioned is incredibly important. You know, as you say, these are hidden stories, these are untold stories. If you're only hearing it talked about in whispers or from one other person, you can't feel that your experience, your traumatic, I guess, reaction to it actually has validity. You, you're going to keep feeling that you've done something wrong. Yeah, precisely. And I think your last call just reminded me as healthcare professionals, we shouldn't, we should never make assumptions about what is motivating people with their birth choices. 
And I think that really plays into the importance of continuity of care, getting to know your patients. You know, pregnancy and birth is different to other um, visitors to the hospital because generally people aren't sick um, or unwell. It is a natural process that from time to time does need support. And to support people to have a positive birth experience, you do need to understand what has come before and what's important to them. And we can't do that if we, if we don't know our patients or we're just meeting them for the first time when they're about to deliver a baby. Alex, we're talking about changing language. You're talking about a podcast telling these stories. I mean, throw some positivity at me. Are we actually changing the way we talk about this? Is there better recognition? Are we are we seeing movement on, on, on the open discussion of traumatic births? Yeah, look, I think to answer your question, I would say yes. Um, just the fact that we are having these conversations now. Two years ago when Cara and I started the podcast, we felt there was no one having these conversations. And now, you know, it is becoming quite a commonly used term, birth trauma, for example. And we're still, we're still trying to define that. Um, so language is really important. I think as healthcare professionals, um, knowing what kind of questions to ask post-birth, make sure that there's a really good debrief, that there's a good understanding of what happened um, to unpack some of those complications if they occurred. And even to have a follow-up as well is really helpful. I think there's a long way to go um, and we need more support, we need more resources because when birth trauma is identified, we don't really have a streamlined um, system and, of course, there's not one-size-fits-all fits in terms of helping someone recover from birth trauma. But we do need more people working in the space, more people that are specialised in um, caring for the psychological impacts of um, birth trauma. I think identifying we're doing a better job at, but actually managing it because it is a long-term issue that influences people's birth choices in the future. Well, your pod is called Pregnancy Uncut. Alex, if today's program is anything to gauge by, then people really want to discuss this. So thanks so much for your time. We know you've rearranged yourself as well. (laughs) Doctors are very, very busy people, so we really appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, Love talking about this. Thanks so much for having us. See you. Dr Alex Umbers, or Umbers, I should say, based in Warrnambool, is an obstetrician trainee and a GP and the co-host of Pregnancy Uncut. Oh, Nick Healy... Seriously, today Mm. has floored me, absolutely floored me. And for everyone that has said thank you, uh, we send that thanks right back. Thank you so much. People being able to be open, whether they're calling us or texting us, it means so much to hear these stories and we genuinely appreciate it. And what Rochelle said before is true. We might not have had a chance to read through your text Um, while the show was on. We are reading them and we will be going through them. You will be heard. Nick Healy, as always, joining us from ABC Shepparton. If you've missed the beginning of today's program, download the Conversation Hour podcast, and that way, and share it with people as well. If people want to be able to share this this story today, I think that's important. Yeah, very important. Please, and thank you for having me. Good on you, Nick. I'll speak with you tomorrow. Until then, take care.